Hey, Power Athlete Nation. I want to introduce you to our good friends at Thorn Nutrition. Thorn makes the best supplements I've taken, and I'm just not saying that for any other reason other than it's being the truth. Um, I got into the supplement game a long time ago through, you know, if you guys have listened to the podcast, George Zangus, Marathon Nutrition, and, uh, you know, creatine and protein and some other things. And uh, supplements have always been important through all the blood testing and uh, trying to optimize micronutrients in the system through blood work. And every time I would go work with uh, Cosenta and Tom Incladon, whenever he would say, hey, these are the supplements I want you to take. This is where you're deficient. Thorn was always the default. And this is long before we ever met them mm-hmm. and had the opportunity to connect with them through Sornex and ha- and then reach out to them and make them a you know sponsor of the, of the collective and the symposiums and just really just create a, a really excellent relationship. And the reason being is we take the supplements daily. Like, uh, my wife takes them, my kids take them, and I am by far uh, one of Thorne's biggest fanboys. Uh-huh. Gut kits as well. So get some feedback on our gut health, which has well, been pretty interesting. Yeah, especially when you have vitamin A toxicity. Well, there's one way to find out. It's poop in a cup. Uh, yeah, well, you know, funny story. Uh, Tex <laughs> listened to... Uh, I think it was Rhonda Patrick who talked about eating liver, which is, you know, uh, a good idea. Tex took it a little far, started consuming two to four ounces of liver daily. And then we, through Thorn, ended up getting some gut work done and pretty figured out that uh, he was just bypassing his entire crib cycle. And even though he was eating carbohydrates, was totally ketogenic and was dealing with a vitamin That's A toxicity. Quick way to lose LDs. <laughs> well, So it's important that when somebody does some supplement recommendations or what, that it has to be very clearly out. These are the amounts you take. But, uh, you know, all kidding aside and all jokes, um, Thorn has been a cornerstone of not only my nutrition and my supplement routine for a lot of years. Uh, after, you know, working, like I said, working with Dr. Inkledon and taking other brands and then going back and getting tested and not seeing noticeable changes. Uh, the one thing that's really nice about Thorn is, You get what's in the package. It's the highest level tested. And I think if you're going to spend money on supplements, uh, Thorne's the only way to go. So if you're interested to see what I take, you can go to thorne.com slash you slash power athlete. It's thorne.com slash you slash power athlete. We'll have those in the show notes. And 20% off. And you also get 20% off. So you'll see the supplement stack, the stuff I recommend and the stuff that I'm taking. And uh, if you want to, if you want to buy in, you'll get a 20% discount on anything, on anything, not just the stuff in our, in our cart. But if you're interested in what we're taking, you can check it out at thorn.com slash you slash power athlete. And um, if you want to enjoy the episode. Yeah. Now tune in to power athlete radio and the magical uh, angelic voices of Mr. McQuilkin and myself. So. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Brandon Lilly may be best known for his incredible powerlifting career, but to those who know him best, that was just the beginning of the journey for Brandon. Since a catastrophic injury, he has reshaped himself from the inside out, focusing on accountability and virtue first. These traits have carried him into his current position with Sorenex and no doubt given him the life PRs that just simply cannot be quantified. Here it is, episode 553. I think the issue with Urban Meyer is a little worse than John Gruden for me personally. Because here's a guy who's an active coach. Uh, he's in the fight. You know, they, they end up losing. He stays behind, tells his guys because he wants to see his grandkids, and then goes to, what, to, to the Urban Meyer brew pub.
and is seen like yeah. acting like that. Like it's just kind of uh, as an NFL player, if the coach like first of all, I've never heard of a coach staying behind and two to get caught in that situation. Like he just loses his team and loses the trust of his team. And then once that happens, uh, like they haven't won a game. Trevor Lawrence isn't living up to the billing in which everybody gave him, which is totally understandable for a rookie quarterback. But unfortunately, uh, like this is the expectation. So you have all these things. The team's pretty much like, fuck this dude. And uh, they might go 0-16 yeah. this year, which is, uh, you know, I mean, might be good. They might get another top one pick. But, uh, like, I see that situation. Whereas the Gruden thing, he was sending, I mean, so, like, I'm, I'm not condoning uh, homophobic, uh, racist, or other fucking crazy comments that Gruden has made. But, I mean, 11 years ago, he's sending personal emails here, like, and they're, they go back for some investigation, find it, and then they fucking lambaste him. I mean, yeah. uh, like, is one better than the other? I'm like, I mean, anybody well, that's ever met Gruden, Gruden's a fucking asshole. I mean, yeah. he, he did a great job on Monday Night Football. So you knock like, if you agree with me. Yeah, like, I, I've met Gruden. I know him. He's a fucking pretentious, uh, prickly, shit-talking, a fucking asshole what? football coach, which big, is... Big J.J. Watt guy. <laughs> which is why he's been successful. Like... Uh, being head football coach and taking that on and doing that responsibility, like isn't a choir boy job, uh, you know, but like at the end of the day, uh, he's not like, um, I don't know, out fucking deceiving people kind of like the urban Meyer deal. But, uh, I mean, it just goes to show you anything that you've ever said now through the internet or anything, anybody can go back. You're fucking liable for well, and I think that that's problematic, you know, because you you know my past, and I've, I've certainly had some terrible dark days in my life, and and made a lot of bad decisions, bad choices, and um, you know, couldn't couldn't see the forest for the trees in my own actions a lot of times. But I would like to say that people encouraged me to keep going, to figure it out, to get better, to improve, and maybe he has. But the problem is, is I think if we start just canceling people from the jump. People either one get more deceivious and more destructive because you know they 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 hide or they cover themselves better, or two, um, we're all going to be guilty of something at some yeah. point in time. I mean, Amen. I can't I can't you know I can't really fathom a time in my life where I did everything perfectly. You know, I, I look around at my life and it's it's been a series of missteps and and progress and missteps and progress. But you know, if if it was like, man, did that girl that I affectionately like put my arm around her waist because I cared about her. Did she interpret that wrong in sixth grade? You know what I mean? Like if we're going to go dig through all this stuff somewhere down the line, you know, you, you were reaching for a glass and you, you grazed a, a cheek of a, of a hind end or something like that. Who knows? Like, but if they're going to dig that deep 11 years on a dude and then just throw him under the bus without having a conversation with him, like talk to people around the league. Is he still this guy? Is he still saying these things? Is he still running this kind of stuff? And, you know, as well as I do in a locker room, I mean, even on a podcast not too long ago, I told a joke as a it was a factual story told as a resharing as a joke. And there's some offensive language in there, but it's like that's exactly what the bad guy said in the bad situation. You know, and it's like you start to lose humor, you start to lose scope of reality if you just want to keep bending these things to some PC you know, very shortcake kind of world where everybody gets along and nobody doesn't, you know, nobody's malicious or evil. I just, I don't know, man. I I'm so, that's well, why I haven't done very much on the internet lately, man. I'm just, I'm so sick of it, but it's also at, at some level, 
you know, kind of take care of your house first kind of situation. And for me, that's what I've been trying to do, getting healthier, training a little smarter. Jiu-jitsu has obviously become a big factor in my life. But at some point, you have to just like, I've got to say what I've got to say because I'm an American and I believe certain things and I care about this country and I care about people in this country. I care about opinions on both sides of whatever equation is there. Like, I want to get to the root source of why we're having these disagreements or why we're having these discussions. But if we're just going to consistently bait people into conversation so that we can destroy them later, like who is going to say anything? Who no, is going to stand up? And, well, eventually you know? what happens is things just become so vanilla. Like uh, nobody's going to say shit. And uh, like, uh, like I wonder at which point, you know, and, and dude, I think Gruden's a good coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately is the head of your team, uh, you know, the, the optics and he's a part owner, hundred million dollar deal. I mean, you know, big fucking money here. Uh, you know, but I'm, I'm just kind of laughing, thinking about like the fact, like, like the shit he said, uh, you know, obviously ugly stuff. Uh, but like, you know, you go back in time, are we going to find ugly stuff for everybody? Do I think he deserved to mm-hmm. lose his job? Probably. Uh, I just want to know, like, what was the tipping point? What was the straw that broke the camel's back? Was it, um, you know, was it the the comment about the Michelin lips? Was it the comment about Goodell? I really think that it was a comment about Goodell because Goodell is a little bitch. And I really think Goodell, <laughs> uh, I've never been a fan of Roger Goodell. I think he handles things fucking poorly. Um, you know, he makes about $40 million a year. He's by far the highest paid player in the league. Uh, the ownership yeah. pays him to be their fucking bad guy. And um, I don't, I've never really cared for any of the decisions he's made. So, uh, I think the choice language was a little much, but uh, man, I wonder if you go back far enough in everybody's past, you know, if there's going to be something that everybody's cancelable, but you know, he's in a high profile position. He's got to own that. And uh, I guess there was something in there that they, that he said. And I, you know, I mean, I, I and, and of course we're reading like, you know, the New York times and sports illustrated's take on it. So we don't sure. actually know what the optic is, but Fuck, man. I mean, it just goes to show anything you say, ever said, can and will be held against you in the court of public opinion. And, you know, and I think um, I, I think we're, start, we're starting to see somewhat of a tipping point on these conversations because, you know, like my dad, you know, and not to put word in his mouth or give him a, a pedestal when he's not here to, to speak or say anything. But, you know, this kind of stuff, I guess someone could argue that it's privileged to say these kind of things, but my dad's answer to so much of this stuff is I just don't give a shit. You know, I got bills that got to get paid. I've got work that needs to be done. I got people I got to see. And I think that there's a large conglomerate of people that are in that realm. And at some point, this hypersensitivity, this hyper wokeness, this hyper, I mean, we're, we're talking about um, the fact that, you know, Superman as a son is now coming out as gay. Bisexual. It, okay. I, I read which, gay as the headline, but which you to know, me bisexual. is, is kind of like, uh, uh, you, like, I don't think there is, but like, I'm, you know, like I kind of think if, uh, if you are like same sex and opposite sex, you probably, you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I think I, you're one I, or yeah. the other and you, t- yeah. and you can tolerate the, the other yeah. if you're bisexual. I think that's, you know, and I say that having family, that's kind of, given me an explanation because I had the same questions. I mean, what is this? What do you feel that's different than what I feel, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, I, I really prefer men, but I'm comfortable with women. That was the conversation. So it's not necessarily like I'm attracted to both. It's like, I'm just a sexual person. I prefer men and like, 
go on and go. There's a soundbite for you guys. Hey, uh, uh, but uh, anyhow, like, you know, the great thing about this country <laughs> is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Live your best life. Sure. Uh, the problem becomes, and this is where, you know, I have this constant conversation with my daughters who were just turned 10. Like, uh, you know, whether, uh, you know, because we have Netflix, dude, they somehow got into all these CW shows. I don't know how it happened. Oh, I thought you were going to bring up the yeah. Dave Chappelle. Oh, he's getting well, Dave Chappelle, go uh, on. pretty amazing. But like there's like uh, we were watching, what was it like Legends or Supergirl or something? And there's uh, like uh, same sex, like the one girl's married to a, a girl. And I asked my daughters about it and, and uh, they were kind of like, well, I mean, don't you just kind of like who you like? I was like. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I mean, <laughs> like it, it just I was like, sounds great. Just like who you like. Yeah. And, and they were like, some dogs like other dogs, some dogs bark at other dogs. And I'm like, man, like who you like. And it uh, seemed pretty yeah. easy. But yeah, the Dave Chappelle thing, man, he uh, I I had to watch it. Uh, well, not yet. Brennan, um, did you but see the I got a chance. Uh, I got a chance to see Dave Chappelle live with Joe Rogan during COVID. I tell you this. No. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, what? oh, yeah. I totally forgot to tell you. So, uh, sounds evening. pretty uh, awesome. <laughs> a, a buddy of mine, or uh, we ended up, a friend of mine, they had to buy four tops and we got invited and it went to down at uh, Stubbs. So we got to see him. And, oh, dude, I don't know how to fucking tell you this. It was during COVID. Uh, so everything was on lockdown. We had to go through swabs and it was the whole deal. So we went on like a Tuesday night. It was kind of last minute. And uh, a big part of the stand up that he does in this, he explained in the stand in the show we did about uh, why he so he goes so hard against the uh, trans community was because he mentored a trans comic who, when he said some stuff, they attacked him. She defended him and then ended up committing suicide. Oh, wow. And so uh, well, they, the trans community attacked her for yeah, defending him for, for defending you him. Know, and then like, she ended up yeah. committing suicide. And she he, he had mentored her, brought her on stage, like had her open for mm-hmm. him and was like mentoring her. And she's like she was a wonderful person. And uh, when I was making these jokes, they started attacking me and she came out and she's like, you don't know Dave Chappelle. He's a uh, you know, truly caring individual. This is just humor and funny. And they fucking attacked her and she ended up committing suicide because of it. So at that point, he's like. Watch out. See what's coming. I'm going hard at these motherfuckers. And, uh, dude, it was, it it was, dude, I mean, he did about a two hour set on this. Must have drank about a dozen beers. I know he was smoking weed with Joe Rogan in the back and I think he took some shrooms, (laughs) but that dude got up there and performed for like two hours and I know he was fucked up. At one point he had to like lean his elbows on like a, on a stool because I knew he was going to fall over, but he fucking just went and went. It was great. (laughs) I did not know that. Well, sorry. Much in the same light as. No, but such in the same light as as the trans community, I think we also kind of see it. This is a this is a delicate topic for men because I would look at you two and say, "Man, you are empowering men. You are a you're a, and not just men, but women too. But like people, men can look at you as individuals to to emulate or to be like or to follow or to develop a similar mindset, like because." You're all about meritocracy. You're all about taking care of yourself, strengthening the body, strengthening the mind, uh, whatever the weakness is, crushing it and eradicating it out. You know, that's the same beautiful aspect of, of what can be done with masculinity. But I think in the same as the eat your own kind of trans situation that was going on right there, you'll see that in some of these men's groups or some of these women's empowerment groups is like if you're not extreme enough then you're just not acceptable. Like you're not a man if you're not out chopping a tree down every two hours or you're not doing these kind of things. Like the the one problem that I see with so many men's groups that I think like separates yourself um, and even the community at Sornex, you know, we're not like putting out programming, but we are a community, a network of people that are showcasing that like, hey, 
we're all out here living individual lives, doing individual things at a very high level. What I see with some of these organizations that tell you what you have to do to be a thing is that like for men in particular, I know that I'm very much like if you give me a checklist of a hundred pinpoints that make me a man, I'll probably check 77 of those boxes and go into a depression about the 23 that I can't fix. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, so, you know, by all standards, who are these you know, groups, I'm, Brandon, I'm, Brandon, uh, Brandon but, this, like, like this is what fucking shocks me that we have to have some group who decides is like the, uh, you know, the pontiff to fucking anoint who's a man and who isn't Yeah, like, uh, uh, like I fucking hate this. And, and more importantly, uh, like podcasts, like how to be a man in this. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Like, it, yeah, well, it feels disingenuous think, to me. I, that's, I made a post about it one time. And I mean, the, the response I got to it was positive. It was one of those moments where it's like, we're fighting the same kind of thing. You know, I worked with Terrence and he was very adamant about helping men, but it was more in the same light that you guys do just live your life, show an example, share those things, share those thoughts and live forward, you know, live in strength, live in pride. But some of this other stuff, I don't know where it stems from. And I think if I root it out, it was probably jealousy that somebody was finding success and getting their message out there. But I was like, would I want my message out there if this was the message? Mm. And I would not. And it was for that reason. It was so much of it is like this destructive nature of like, well, I'm telling you what a man is. So you have to do these things, or I'm telling you what you need to do to be a good man. And maybe that person's not a good man. Or maybe that person just smokes cigars for their photos or has a full blown media team with them everywhere they go. Like that's fine. And that's or extensive good. And beard oil you, collection. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's like, we're almost making a charade of ourselves at men. If we do that, you know, we're, we're making a, a mockery of ourselves and actually admitting to so many people like, Hey, maybe we don't know who the fuck we are, you know, but the post I made on my story was, I have never, ever once had my masculinity challenged. I've never, ever once had my manhood challenged. I've had who I am as a masculine person challenged. I've had who I am as a man challenged. But both of those situations are because of faulty behavior patterns. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was not because I wasn't this or that. Like, I am. I am a man, period. Well, when, no uh, argument, no discussion. How good of a man, a man can you be? Like, I mean, think, think I, about that. I mean, Seneca said it best where he said, don't argue about what a good man is. Just be a good man. But like, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I honestly wonder so many times, like, what is there, like, what's the definition for me? It's real simple. Like, uh, you know, like take care of your kids, you know, if you're married, be yeah. a good husband. Uh, you know, our number one rule of power athlete is, uh, you know, don't lie, don't steal, you know, do what you say you're going to do, yeah. be accountable, be a good part of, you know, be a good teammate. Uh, like I, I sometimes wonder if a lot of these, uh, like, you know, this is the definition of a man is more about skill collecting. Uh, whereas like, yeah. oh, if, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, you see memes all the time where you see like a, a manual transmission and if you can't drive the, or if, if your boyfriend can't dr drive this manual, then you have a girlfriend. So a lot of times right. what I see these groups posting are really skill acquisition. Like, uh, mm -hmm. um, okay. Uh, I can weld. Okay. Does that make me more of a man? I can do uh, dirt work and run a, you know, track loader and a backhoe and all that. Uh, it does that. Is that the definition? I can drive a manual transmission. I have a diesel truck. Like these are just mm -hmm. skill acquisition pieces. But at the end of the day, like what is what's your definition? And more importantly, like what do you quantify? I mean, I uh, like for those of you guys that uh, know Brandon. I mean, I've known Brandon G since I met him at Westside almost over a decade ago. And to see mm -hmm. 
the metamorphosis of you, Brandon Lilly, from that 10, 12 years ago to where you are today is just like, I, I always thought that uh, it's difficult for a leopard to change his spots unless he's reborn and to see who yeah, you've yeah. really grown into in the last decade plus. But like, I sometimes wonder, uh, like, how do we define it? More importantly, where do we put a stake in on this? And if you could say, like, what's that one thing that defines? Because you you have a, a great collection of individuals around you with, you know, Bert and Bosco mm-hmm. Brotherhood and all these amazing individuals, with, you know, and our, and our bros at, at Sornex. So I wonder, how do you define it? I think for me, it starts biological. Um, you know, it, it does start with the way that you're in the perception uh, internal and out. I have... I have several family members that are, that are homosexual. And I have, I can clearly tell you that on a spectrum, I knew that there was, there was differences, let's say in me and them when we were young, you know, I could tell that they were very effeminate. I could tell that they were very uh, into certain things that, that were not things that I was into. So I'm, I'm not saying that there can't be trans. I can't, I'm not saying that there, there isn't some spectrum on that scale as well, but what I'm saying for you from the assumption, like if I have tattoos and a bald head and a big brooding look on my face, the assumption from the external is that I'm a bad guy or I'm a mean guy or whatever. I'm just sorry that if I see you and you have male characteristics and a penis between your legs, I'm going to assume you're a guy and I'm going to refer to you as such. So number one, I think, but you know, Manhood is a state of biology first and foremost for me. Second of all, um, I think to the pillars of do what you say, say what you're going to do, mean it, don't lie, don't steal, um, you know, be someone who others look up to as an example, Uh, whatever that example is, be be a pillar for that. I think skill acquisition is important. I was challenged very, very strongly when I was, I mean, I said something about, you know, if you're not strong, you're not a man, whatever. And I met a pianist and he made over $200,000 a year, lived in a beautiful home, had a ton of, of, of skill set, kind of in what I would call like high culture. He was into wines. He was into music. He was in all these other things and beautiful family wife just dotes on and on about the kind of person he is and the kind of character he is. So at some point he helped me realize that it wasn't these like these things, but it was more so the, the aspiration to achieve something and then going and doing it. And like you said, uh, I do think that there are aspects of, you know, being able to take care of yourself, being able to take care of those of you around you, being able to keep your house in order, being able to do good for your community. But I think at, at the very fundamental level, it revolves around those ideas biologically, you are what you appear to be. Um, I'm, I'm open to conversation about what you feel that you are, but as, as what I see is what I'm going to refer to you as, um, unless I'm corrected. So then that would be first and foremost, who you are, how you handle yourself. And more importantly, um, to, to mention the rebuild is to understand that as a man, you do have a, a very intense, very unique set of emotions, not to be emotional, but to try to understand that spectrum of emotion, um, you know, and, and don't deny yourself anything. Listen to that inner voice, listen to those feelings. That's, and, and that kind of sounds hippy dippy, but that was after my injury. And I think what happened to me, much what I was going to say about identity, it's an odd time in my life where seeing people identify like so strongly about their gender, like that's who they are as a person. That's who they're fighting for on the internet or who they're fighting for in their causes. And I almost kind of made light of that, but then I was like, well, 
when I was powerlifting, I was Brandon Lilly, the powerlifter. Yeah. And after I hurt my knees, uh, I had bilateral knee surgeries. I had a t- pretty terrible blowout. Ended well, up nineteen well, surgeries on my. Let's uh, let's take a step back. I mean, uh, I'm sure, I'm, sure. I'm sure that uh, everybody that's listening to this podcast knows who you are. And if you don't, uh, Brandon Lilly, um, man, I like I said, I met you out of Westside powerlifter. I mean, you really hit it big with some pretty nice, uh, pretty solid lifts, and you know, we're really fucking cruising and dominating the heavyweights. And we're kind of yep. on that ascension. And then, um, you know, not to relive it, but I remember, uh, you know, you had a big weight cut, went in and, you know, fell with a big amount of weight on your back. And I'm not going to Well, and that was, no, that was, that was, um, I think that a lot of that was indicative of who I was at the time. You know, I had won two really big competitions in Australia. Very, very proud of those. Um, but at the feeling at the time of both of those was, even though that I won, um, you know, and I say one, I had the biggest total at uh, Capo. And to me, that was the win. Like I was the strongest guy on the platform. I lifted the most weight on the platform, Richard Hawthorne, no disrespect to me, but he got me on, on a coefficient on a, on a formula. Dude is phenomenal. Nothing taken away from that guy, but I had the biggest total. And then at pro raw five in Australia, uh, I won the heavyweight division. Dan weight won the lightweight division, Dan green. And, um, that was just a, amazing competition for so many reasons stuck around another week or going Australia. went to Australia or went to Mexico for a week uh, on the way back home after that. And was just really kind of celebrating. Like I couldn't believe that in my life, this is where I was, you know, I was like actually winning, doing the things that I wanted to do, traveling the world. And uh, I got a call from the USPA president, Steve Dennison. And he asked me to do this competition in LA and I was not really into it. I just won two big competitions. I just really gone to Mexico and like hadn't trained in a couple of weeks. Uh, didn't get out of control in Mexico, but I did enjoy myself. I think there was probably a very, very small window of time that I didn't have a beer or like a margarita in my hand. As you should. Was I like, mean, if you're in Mexico and you don't yeah. have a beer and margarita and a taco, I mean, are yeah. you really in Mexico? That's, that's basically <laughs> exactly. And uh, so come back from that and, you know, he keeps calling me like, Hey, we want you there. We want you to compete. And I'm like, no, no, no. So finally with about four weeks left and again, on the heels of these, these wins, um, I'd really booked my schedule full of seminars. So four weeks with three seminars, uh, every weekend. So that means my training day or training week was condensed from like Monday to Thursday, leave for like Friday evening or Friday morning or Thursday evening, get back home late Sunday or Monday morning and go Monday to Thursday again. Uh, so if you really break it down, that's about 12 training sessions from championship level to about a month of just drinking and eating as much as I could. And then a month of that kind of schedule. So I really wasn't my best, but I've only agreed because Brandon Allen had uh, messaged Steve and told him that he really wanted to compete against me. He thought he could give me a good push. And no disrespect to Brandon Allen because he reached out to me more than any human being alive after my injury. So like he was just a competitor. He just wanted to go against somebody that he thought he could compete against. He he was uh, light. uh, I've never met him, but um, he's, uh, he's in Vegas, right? Yeah. 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 uh, Was he that cat that um, had some like uh, interesting tattoos and people were trying to paint him in the corner as being. uh, Yeah. 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 And, and, and again, I couldn't, I couldn't speak to if he is or if he isn't. And I I think that says something right there about the kind of guy he is. Nice dude. No, yeah, like unbelievable yeah. dude. I don't know what is I mean, he was born in nineteen eighty eight. He has an eighty eight tattoo on his stomach. Like <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like 
I, I don't know. I mean, I know An, that there's another some time of around the, that of the internet fucking searching for uh, you yeah. know, anything they can pick a deal at. And and I, I remember it popped up and like his ex- explanation was like, uh, not realizing that, you know, maybe there's some uh, fucking negative connotations with some of that stuff. But always. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've everything heard, I've ever seen him around. He yeah. loves weed. He loves being strong. And he's always gone out of his way to help me. You know, like it. it if that makes me guilty by, by, by association, then I guess I am because he was a good dude to me when I needed a good dude. Yeah. So, um, anyway, go out there. I wanted to cut down to his, to 308. I was like 332 at the time. Very, very easy weight cut because like I was just a ball of water. You know what I mean? Like 24 <laughs> yeah. pounds on 300 plus pounds sure. when it's mostly just sodium induced water is pretty, pretty easy to get off. So it came off really quickly came back on really quickly. I actually weighed in, um, at 307.6. Uh, the next day I weighed in at 335, but it was one of those deals. Um, I I felt good, but things just, it it didn't feel like the water was in the muscle. I felt like water logged more than I felt like water full. And, um, it, it just didn't feel good. I felt a little bit lethargic Warm up weights weren't right. Um, and I, and I think the, the downfall speaks somewhat to my ego, I was, I was very fragile that I didn't want to lose and I didn't want to miss a lift. So I was like, ah, I'm just going to go conservative guys, you know, 85, 90% will be a good day. That'll be enough for the win, blah, blah. Like I'm talking like this asshole, right? So go out there, open up with like 705, maybe 690. I don't remember. With, um, uh, was this raw or uh this uh, was reps, belt only, belt uh, only. knee sleeves. This, yeah, belt only knee sleeves. It was like the last competition I'd just done. Mm. And uh, in Australia, I'd, I'd gotten a twenty-one ten total belt only down there, and it wasn't Damn. my best meet, but it was a good solid total. Um, what numbers did you? And it, it was a gosh, I want to remember. It was seven forty-nine, five seventy something, and seven seventy-five, seven eighty. So I was a little bit off of my best, but not like not by much. So go into this competition six ninety goes and it didn't feel awesome but it went platform was a little uneven and i'm not going to even say a word about that because it was kind of roasted after the event um and if that contributed to my knee injury or whatnot i don't know but no fingers pointed here so 744 on my second a weight i've squatted dozens of times if not hundreds of times i mean just a very routine weight on my back and uh go down with it come up with it and it felt fucking hard like it should not have felt that hard i knew that the writing was kind of on the wall my day was not going to be what i thought it was got a red light uh, i actually took a step or something i think it was a step before the rack command and the uspa so they were kind of being strict on it um took my shoes off i had on olympic lifters like i had been recently uh put on my chucks told chad smith to to scratch he went over and told them to scratch I, I mean i watched him do it this is this is totally what happened he told a lady she stepped up to go get a drink or a coffee or something like that chad comes back over and he's like hey buddy we'll get it back on the bench and then i hear brandon lily you're on deck mm. or you're in the hole and i looked at chad and he was like oh, i told him i was like well you know at, at the time i was hashtagging ain't no bitch you know and it's like that meant <laughs> you painted you know, yourself into a corner <laughs> Yeah. I painted myself in the corner. So I end up, uh, I end up going up there. I looked down, realized that I wasn't wearing my Olympic shoes. I was in chucks. So I widened my stance back out. Cause I'm thinking, you know, West side, just widen it out, get a little more stability hat and tighten my belt. 
like it was just a scramble. And uh, I go down, I had been nursing a groin injury a little bit. Um, and as actually happened on a sandbar in Mexico, it was just kind of one of those weird things where the ocean fell out from under me a little bit when I was walking and uh, just strained my groin. Well, in widening my stance like that, it kind of aggravated the groin a little bit, caused the left knee to rotate in. Uh, I'm assuming at that point it was probably just a quad tendon, but the weight stayed on my back and my knees buckled to the ground. And uh, that's when the fireworks happened. Everything just started popping off in the knees. Um, the left knee was actually like a spiral type deal in the knee. Like you do a chicken leg, it tore every single thing that you could possibly tear. Uh, my kneecap was actually coming out of the top of my knee sleeve. You could see like kneecap there. Um, the right leg wasn't quite as bad, but anyhow, in laying there in the hospital, literally the day that I fell, I was ranked number one in the, um, super heavyweight division because Milanichev hadn't competed in a while and Peter Petras hadn't competed. I mean, it was like, I was arguably a top five, top 10 lifter by anybody's standards at that point. So I'm sitting there in the hospital and the doctor tells me like, Hey, you're not going to walk for 10 months. And I was like, well, you don't know me. So I, you know, on a nerve block, kind of like shuffle myself out of this bed and I stand there and like scoot my feet. And I was like, I did it. And he was like, you're an idiot, first of all. But I also immediately entered myself into a competition about 10 months from that point. And, and again, back in Australia, and uh, I did Mark Bell's meet like three months later. And dude, all of this was fear-based. All of this was the fear that I was going to lose the identity. I wasn't going to be as cool as I was or popular as I was, or I wasn't going to sell a fucking book or whatever. Like it was all rooted in this loss mentality. And I realized very, very quickly the, the comeback was going to be much harder than I expected. Um, I went through 19 surgeries after my 11th, the day before my 11th, uh, I pulled 840, which is a lifetime best, um, kind of put that goal to rest. And I started chunking away at some things. I hit a 600 bench after my 13th knee surgery in a competition, um, that kind of thing. So I was just kind of like trying to put the period on this thing so that I could get to a point where again, like we talked about urban Meyer losing his, his status, you know, every competition where I go out and squat 600 pounds, is just one more like, Hey, let's, he's still doing it. Great. Good job. <laughs> here he buddy. is you again. Know, here he is. Here he is 40 years later and 77 surgeries later. Good job, buddy. Oh, and it was just because I couldn't let go of it. You know, I couldn't see that it was killing me. And my dad asked me a question. He said, um, son, why are you training so hard to feel so bad? You know, and that was on the heels of a, of an improved relationship with him. Um, when I was at the top of, of everything, when I fell, my parents didn't even know I was competing that day. They didn't know where I was. I mean, it was just, you know, I kind of went all in lone wolf kind of ego mentality. And I hate that shit now. Cause you know, there were people that were willing to help me and I didn't think I could take their help or, or, assistance in any way, shape or form, like just as training or just as life advice or just like, Hey, seem to be making some money. Let's do some financial planning here. Like I thought you had to figure it all out yourself yeah. or you're some kind of like pussy, you know? So you're not a real man. Um, yeah, exactly. You're not a real man if, unless you can financial plan. Um, but anyway, I, uh, I started looking at myself for who I was and, and John, you know, probably better than most. You saw me at some pretty rough times. Um, I was not, really a very good man. I had traded and excused myself as a man to pursue athletics and it, it, people allowed it. Like, you know, you go someplace and you're an asshole and you're this, that, or the other, it somewhat adds to the mystique of being the bad guy, you know, that every, everybody needs a villain. So 
I kind of filled that role and embraced it a little bit. And I think I even encouraged myself for it, but that's not who I am. Um, I found myself as that guy a few times in my life, just cause I'm scrappy and, uh, I, I didn't mind a fist fight if that's what it came to. So I, I kind of got moved in a direction that I'm not really that, that person. Um, and then I decided like, I can't keep this up anymore. I was falling apart, put a gun in my mouth on April 12th of 2016 was very disconnected from my family, disconnected from my son. And, uh, just decided that I was like, if I could make one good decision out of all the bad decisions, that was to call my dad. And, you know, that phone call elicited so much emotion, so many feelings, so many positive conversations that my dad had just never had with me because of some of that, like, I'm a man. We don't talk about our shit. We don't say what we feel, you know, that kind of thing. Those feelings came out because I think he saw how bad off I was. And I think he was saying these things kind of like, if you're going to do this thing, when I leave here today, like, I want you to know how I feel about you. I want you to feel the weight of what I'm about to say to you. And I sure, and I did like, I learned that the hardest man, a guy that I never heard say, I love, like, I used to joke about it. We'd be in the kitchen and, you know, we'd have a, a game or something and he's going over film or talking about something and he'd be like, yeah, well, you know, you did good out there and you, you know, your mom loves you. And like, <laughs> he couldn't say that he loved me. You know, it was just one of those things like the pat on the back was what you got. And yeah. But, fall- but, but wasn't that like a different generation? Cause I mean, I, I remember it was. Uh, uh, like even as a little kid, uh, my dad would shake my hand and it wasn't until I came sure. home for college, I blew past that handshake and I gave him a hug and it took it me yeah. like five years of hugging my dad before he finally like relaxed. And like, yeah. I think well, it, was, uh, it, it was in my thirties before my dad ever, I ever remember my dad saying, you know, I love you. And like yeah. when he said it to me, I was like, holy shit, that's the first time that I remember my dad ever saying, I love you. Yeah. I can remember it as a kid a, a few times, but like, when he said it that day, like when he came over and really said it, he was like, you know, I want to tell you first and foremost, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that we ever got to this place. And that was big because I had people I needed to say sorry to, but was too proud to say it. And then the other one, he goes, I should have told you I loved you and that I was proud of you every day because it was true. I would go around to places that he worked and he'd be like, oh, you must be, you must be David's boy. He, he doesn't shut up about you. He talks about you nonstop, but he never told me those things. And again, I'm not boohooing about it. I'm just saying this was the catalyst for me as a man to say, holy shit, this is what I feel when my dad is honest and real with me. I got to be that for everybody else. I got to start figuring out how I can do that. And there was a clear distinction when my story started to turn from like a sad story, tears in my eyes, because I'm still in it. Like I'm still trying to get out of this thing. I'm still trying to put the pieces back together. And I don't know that it's going to ever get better. And I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I will tell you, I got past the point where it's like, okay, I, I trust myself again. I trust myself in these situations again. I trust myself to make good choices in bad places or in stressful situations or whatever, because I learned I am a very resourceful person. I am very, very good under stress as in good as in, I won't fucking die. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can put the pieces together. I can do the things I need to do. I can get out of a jam if I need to. That's a good thing if you're in a jam, but don't create those jams yourself. And that's what I was tending to do when I would start to get comfortable. And I'd be like, it can't really be this good. Can it? Let me go start a fire somewhere and fuck something up. So like trying to get to the point where I trusted myself, I knew the direction I wanted to go. I had goals for myself that were non-physical. Um, 
a lot of that stuff just really started back to the skill set acquisition. If somebody came in my house today, how capable am I of defending myself? And that that question stemmed from my knee injuries. Um, as you know, I limp. Uh, I still have a little bit of a limp, better than it was. But I fell in Virginia Beach at one of the uh, the strength conferences. I was walking with some of the guys from Sornex, and we were walking around. And a lot of times, if you'll notice, I look at the ground, or I did. I looked at the ground when I walked because I was always searching for the 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 pothole or the lip corner on the piece of concrete or whatever, just misgaged a curb and went down and, and fell, you know? And it was like immediately guys helped me up and laughed it off. And they were like, Oh shit, you drank too many beers. And we'd had like one. So um, it just kind of stuck with me that I'm not as good or capable as I think I am. So I wanted to start training differently because I used to joke about being a power lifter. It was like, I'm not even good at four things. I can't even get a blow job without getting out of breath. You know, it's like I can squat bench and deadlift and that's it. So I wanted to get better. I wanted to improve and to feel better. So I started hiking, which of course getting outside is fucking awesome. Uh, started shooting my bow, starting shooting my guns again, you know, just really like, I didn't know where I was going, but the direction felt good. You know, I felt very good to be chasing these things down and, picking up a guitar and trying to learn that committing to reading two books a month and then finding, okay, I'm excited to read a third, that kind of thing. Just slowly putting myself together as a man. Um, if I, if I told someone a lie or if I said, Hey, I'll be there at six o'clock instead of rolling in there on two wheels at six fifteen and doing the apology preemptively send that message, just like accountability to being a good person. And that's really where the thousand step journey for me started. And the idea of the plus one mentality came. It's like, if you took a, like nobody wakes up today and says, you know what? I want to go start heroin. I, I just want to pick up a heroin habit today. You know, nobody wakes up like that. What happens is they lose their job or they lose their girlfriend or they get a little bit of run of bad luck and they start making bad choices or, cho or choices that are easy. And then, you know, that thing becomes the reality. That's the way I was. I never set off to blow my life apart. I never set out to, to, you know, lose my family and lose my friends and, and pursue this thing individually. But the narrative I was telling myself in my head made that more appealing. Like, Oh yeah, you are You're like, nobody else understands you. That's the direction you got to go. It's like, I just saw something about obsession or dedication. Like the dedicated are respected and understood. The obsessed are considered crazy. They're the ones that get what they want. So I, I kind of prided myself in this obsession. And I think I've told you before, John, I found out somewhere along the way or admitted to myself that I didn't really love powerlifting. I loved the power that powerlifting gave me. Uh, the, the kind of appreciation, the applause, the, the quote unquote respect factor. Um, but it didn't really, it, it didn't really make me challenge myself. It was like a big body with a little boy inside of it. And um, after the injury, I realized that one powerlifting was never going to be the thing anymore. And two, it wasn't going to be able to, at some level, it wasn't going to be enough to like, you know, put the kind of retirement away that I wanted. So I knew I was going to have to rely on my brain. I knew I was going to have to rely on my friendships, my networking. And at 32 years old, I'd burned every bridge that I possibly had. You know, I, I was like, fuck, how do you start over here? And luckily um, just a few people in the right places, were, were willing and understanding of my situation. Bert obviously gave me a job, gave me fucking purpose when nobody else would even give me a job or I, I didn't have the, the self-esteem to even ask anyone else for a job. It was more of a conversation that just led to a what if. 
And I decided right then there that if I could work for Sorenex in any capacity, if it was cleaning toilets, if it was, you know, making sure it said Sorenex right side up on every plate in the gym, whatever it was, I just wanted a job. I just wanted a place that I could start building myself up a little bit from. And, and Bert just, he breathed life into me. You know, he kept offering me challenges, kept challenging me to go see this person or talk to that person or find this person. And, um, it really did help me get my life back together. And, and it gave me something that if I didn't care about myself, I cared about Sorenex and that community enough not to blow it off the rails. Um, and again, I, I don't know how I got here. I, I don't have a step-by-step -step process other than if one bad decision takes you one step from where you want to be, one good decision will get you closer. So just if it's like, you know, this is a Coke zero, not the best thing in the world, but it's better than a Coke you know, at least in my mind from the, from the sugar content. So, you know what, that's a small win right there. I chose that one over the Coca-Cola regular right beside it, you know, and I'm not even like, that's where I had to be when I was at bottom. It wasn't like, Hey, make your house payment on time. That wasn't even a possibility. <laughs> it was like, just get up and drink a gallon of water today. Like if you can do nothing else, you can put a gallon of water in your mouth today, you know? And, and I started small and slowly that started to snowball slowly started to get my rhythm back in training, slowly started to get my rhythm back in relationships, just momentum kept going forward. And, you know, honestly, um, getting to come down and, and see some of you guys and John, you're an interesting and probably being a little bit too honest here, but you're kind of an interesting figure for me because I felt so disappointed in myself. I looked up to you when you came to, to West side. Um, there was still a mystique about, I'd never really met an NFL player like at, at that capacity at that level, other than just a brief handshake. So I looked up to you. I respected you. I found, found out about your career. Louie was really high on talking to you. Obviously the stuff with uh, CrossFit football and then the power athlete stuff. Um, I really felt like you were a good guy and I fucked it up when I met you. And um, I don't think you even knew that I was as bad off as I was, but I, but I really was. And there were some situations I even spoke to you about on Facebook messenger that were just really fucking hard. And that was the lowest I felt because I told you the truth and I don't think you believe me and I don't hold that against you either. I, I hold it against myself. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those situations where I was just like, I was on such a tear of negativity that this guy that just an outsider coming into the gym, but I respected you. But after the fact, I almost stayed away from you because I was like, this guy knows, this guy knows the truth a little bit here, but I'm so thankful. Like when I got the message to be on the show, that was one of those like, okay, you're, you really are going the right direction. And not because I fooled you, not because I, I was like, Hey man, I'd love to be on your show. It just happened. And like, and like to me, thank you. Like that's just, that's where all that came from is I just want to say thanks for having me on here because beat myself up might be a strong word, but there are people in my life that I know looked at me like, yeah, I'm going to stay away from this guy. And I, and I kind of felt like you were in that corridor, but you've been so gracious and so awesome to me over the years. I, I just wanted to say thanks on a personal level and, and tell everybody that like you're the fucking real deal. I've never seen anything but that. Man, thank you. I appreciate that. I uh, No, dude, uh, you know, to see like, man, I, I think coming from, um, you know, the NFL and college and being around a lot of high level athletes, uh, a lot of times people, like take the good with the bad. Like they'll say, well, you know, this guy's not a good dude or he's, uh, you know, done this and this and this, but he can do the job. So then therefore like you get lead allowances where if these people couldn't play, they would have never got even fucking 
you know, entertain the opportunity. So like uh, coming from that, like you kind of, you know, and people ask me all the time, oh, you still friends with all your teammates? And I'm like, honestly, only the good ones. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, and some of the guys I played with are fucking great human beings. I'm going to see Runyon this weekend. Actually, he's getting inducted into the ring of fame for the Eagles. So I'm flying out there for his party. And, uh, you know, I always respected Runyon a ton and I'll get on a plane to go see him and fucking cheer him on. Uh, but I think all too often we take the good with the bad because, but because people can do it. And I'm sure for you, um, there were people that were willing to look past a lot of shit because you could bang heavyweights. You know, yeah, you know, oh, you're yeah. On, you know, hey, uh, let's put, you know, Brandon on Power Magazine again. And regardless of whatever went down, yeah. you know, that'll sell magazines or, you know, hey, like, let's get yep. him here and here. And it's because you were a bigger than life figure and people were more uh, like willing to accept maybe more than they should. And I think uh, yeah. coming from where I came from, like, um, you know, like it was always hard for me to play with guys and then like, you know, like I was single, so we'd go out or whatever. And I'd be like, man, this guy's got a wife and kids at home and he's out here fucking slaying it, you know, trying to take every girl to the bar home and this and, you know, alternate lives. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like it felt so disingenuous. And uh, yeah. uh, like when I met you, it was kind of an interesting time. I mean, uh, like I don't think anybody could enter that West Side. Uh, what's the <laughs> word? Uh, like fucking spin spin spike cycle yeah the realm of west side it's like a spin cycle on your uh washer and dryer almost and to enter that as like a young kid i can't even imagine like i i went in there in my like you know what a early 30s after playing the nfl for a decade and i was like man this is a fucking intense situation and the manipulation yeah. and this and all the other shit like the mind games louis playing with guys in here i'm like fuck dude this is a like i know why dudes either become greatest or go kill themselves. And yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think as a young guy, you went in there and, you know, you're listening to one side morning crew, they, you know, this, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, fuck man, I don't know how you get out of this thing without being a fucking crazy person. And so I think <laughs> a lot of, uh, a, like, and for all Louis fucking amazing things he's done, he preys on people's insecurities and that's how he's able to somehow fucking pull out whatever he's allowed to, you know, whatever he pulls out. He's like a fucking master, master puppet master in a lot of ways. And I think for you getting out of that, I mean, like I put it like this, man, like seeing you as a young dude there and then seeing what happened, I wasn't surprised because of the environment in which you're coming out with and the track that you took and yeah. I, I thought either you would have, and, and dude, just purely do just speculation, people on that trajectory either end up dead or they end up jail. And you ended yeah. up like almost that injury fucking saved your life because I was kind For of sure. nervous. If you hadn't have fell and you hadn't hurt yourself, where would that have taken you? Because, I mean, dude, it's like I said, you're either going to be in jail or the grave. Yeah, well, and that's the, that's the two ends that I was looking at. I mean, um, the crew that I was running with just because of, you know, when you're kind of a nefarious person or you're, you're telling yourself that you are, um, you, you don't go to, you don't go to the bar with the church boys. You know, the, the bars get a little darker, the smoke gets a little thicker and the friends get a little meaner. And, and that's very, very true. You know, I found myself in some situations, you know, Hey man, I just need to, I just need to ride along buddy for this job or I needed something for this. And, you know, job not being a construction site, you know, being a job being something else. And, uh, you know, definitely finding the dark culture of the drug world and all that kind of stuff. And then 
doing some debt collection because you're just a big dude with a mean face, you know, you, you find yourself in some pretty dark, dark holes. And I, I certainly can tell you from either my own hand, uh, it would have been death. Or if, if somebody else got a hold of me first, it probably would have been jail for some other reason. I, and not, not saying that as like a bad person. I'm saying that as a scared to death, insecure, broken person. Yeah. Um, that Dude, just, and that I just saw, didn't man. value myself. And, and yeah. then, uh, you know, and then like uh, that fall and then trying to, you know, reborn yourself. And man, I remember when I saw you and this was maybe a couple years after when I saw you out at Sornex, man, and you were big, you were like, 330, 340 pounds and, uh, like the yep. edema in the ankles. And I, I think, I, I think I remember talking with you and being like, dude, like, like I've seen, uh, like I've seen that on my friends, I've seen it on big dudes and like you either fucking keep going to where, you know, we're cutting you out of your house to put you in a casket or you fucking yep. make a life change. And, uh, all of a sudden when I saw you on your Instagram, you were like day one. And I think now you're like yep. day 795 or something. <laughs> 863 863 so. <laughs> you posted yeah. this is like almost like a proof of life like here's day one and i remember being like fuck dude like uh like whenever i see it scroll up and i check the day i always think fuck dude like there was uh you know here you are at at this point so far removed from day one but like seeing you post that day one because a lot of people are like today's my first day today's monday national get ready to get ready day yeah. and uh i mean we've seen it for years like oh i'm gonna start this program and like you put day one and then there was a day two and a day three and this fucking humbling a thing of it, it was it's fucking been epic to see the metamorphosis because uh dude i saw you at like the beginning i saw you at the darkest i saw you at a point where i was like fuck man this dude's gonna have a heart attack like you were like, mm -hmm. just, I mean, dude, the swelling and the edema on your body was like, I don't know if it was uh, inflammation or fucking infection or what, but I remember seeing you and being like, like your ankles and that swell. I was like, oh yeah, fuck, dude, that's crazy. Yeah, I put a, I got a pair of Eberly stock, uh, not Eberly stock. I'm sorry, uh, fuck, uh, Birkenstocks uh, sandals up here that I uh, that I wore when I was that big, and I keep them exactly on the setting that they were. And, and literally can take three pairs of socks and put them on top of my foot and slide into there comfortably. I need like three pairs of socks to like buffer the last mm -hmm. hole from where I am now, you know? So it, it was, it was certainly, uh, again, that was fear tactic. Um, mass moves mass. Right. And I couldn't lift as much because I was strong, like muscular. So I just tried to leverage the shit out of everything and get it as big as I could. And Hey, push that belly out against those adductors and all that kind of stuff. And, and dude, it, it, it allowed me to progress. Like I have one goal that I, uh, two goals that I didn't hit in powerlifting. And that's the 400 kilo deadlift. Um, I never did it in a competition. I did it with straps in the gym once. Um, and I never hit 2,300 pounds. If you had told me that when I was a kid, you know, 19, 20 years old, that not only would I have a 2,600 pound geared total, um, and a top 25 ranking at the time that I was done with that, and then go over to the raw and, and not really be the, the guy, but to be a part of like this rejuvenation of the raw lifting and to bring so much light to that. And dude, I really felt like a rock star. Like I really felt like a rock star at some of the times because it was just, it was just the right wave. And I was there at the right time. Dude, I'd be a nobody today, like by the standards of the list. Cause there's so many fucking incredible people. It's insane. But I was just, it is it is insane and awesome at the true definition of awesome not just like bro that's cool it's like it is awe inspiring to see like uh, uh what's the guy he goes by bilbo swaggins online uh john hack 
like just some of the stuff that that guy does and, and some of the, the amazing lifts that you're seeing out there. I mean, we got guys routinely nearing 700 pounds on the bench press. Yeah. Um, we got guys eight, 900 pounds common thousand pound yeah. deadlifts are starting to, to be crept yeah. upon over and over by two twenties, yeah. you know, two forty two guys. Um, I would have just been, I would have just been a guy in the mix and that's fine. But what it gave me a chance to do is to build a platform that I've embraced, but I've also like tried to show a different side. So I have the peace, love and meat page too, which is 5,000 people. But what's cool about that page. And I was talking to bird about it. When you get a thousand likes on a post and it's not every time it's been once or twice in the existence, but when you get 20% of your audience engaged and like, yeah, man, this is, this is, this is what I needed today, or this is a post that really is important. Those people over there have followed. They're the people like you, they've kind of followed me all this time and they've come along with me and they they understand, okay, this is stuff that isn't for everybody. Like I don't talk about peace, love and meat on my page a lot. I'll share stuff here and there, but that's more of the artistic side. That's more of the cooking side. That's more of that stuff. And my, my Brandon Lily three page is just, you know, some funny meme shit and then me just being me, but it, it allows for, you know, sometimes I like talking to people that are tuned in. I don't want to just throw a message in the bottle to the ocean, you know, and that's kind of like what it's posting on a a page that has a hundred thousand plus followers. You don't know who's going to pick that message up. You don't even know who's allowed to see it. But the other page, if I say something on there, if I say, Hey guys, I need somebody to help me in Nashville, I'll get 10, 12 people from there. And my other page, I might get eight. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just a condensed, really, really engaged group of people because I engage back and the internet probably helped me figure out, so much of this situation of like, okay, I don't have people in my house. I don't have people in my life. I don't have this. I don't have that, but like finding you guys and finding other people through the internet, you know, we, we rag on it a lot and there's a lot of bad shit, but man, it's, it's one of the things that I point to is what helped me figure this whole thing out because it gave me a place to continue to work. It gave me people to continue to connect with. Um, and I feel like, along the way, the right people just kept showing up in my life and kept encouraging or kept saying, Hey, correct this, or maybe say it a little bit better, or do this a little bit different. So, you know, it, it's, I'm certainly not a, a, a finished project by any stretch. You know, I, I hope that I'm evolving and growing till the day that I die, but I don't wake up feeling like I'm looking over my shoulder in my own mirror what for me to blow my life up anymore. You know, like I've gotten to a place where, I'm comfortable being still. Um, I enjoy the hustle. I enjoy the go, but I really do enjoy the things that I have here in, in my life at home. Like the, the jujitsu community, I've never really had a community like that at home. Like people from all aspects, you know, a 50 year old instructor down to a little girl named Natalie. That's just a phenomenal competitor. And I get to see those people every day or four or five times a week. So home place that I really, really love being now. My family's connected. I've got a friends group. I've got a social group of people. Um, I love to entertain. I love to cook. I love to, you know, that kind of thing. So all these things that I thought, man, if I'm out at the club or I'm out here spending money or eating at the finest steakhouse, that's all better than this. It might be for some, but for me, it's not. And I think at one time I believed it was. Well, I'll just tell you, we went to some restaurant this weekend. Uh, my wife uh, reached out to this like new place it opened. 
they were so packed with reservations. She got a, they were like, we can seat you on a Saturday night, uh, six months from now. So like for like six months, yeah. we've been waiting. And so we went with our friends and, uh, the couple we went with Thad and Michelle, uh, Thad is, I think I can cook a steak. Thad can really fucking cook a steak. Like, uh, like I'm talking like uses three, you know, he's well, not like a, just a steak, John. uh, dude, he uses a big green egg, a smoker, there's cast yeah, iron. Yeah. I mean, like he, he's a fucking wizard and like to the point where like we'll do dinners at my house and his house. And like, I know he fucking preps for a couple days. He'll go to like this butcher and this cause he knows like, I appreciate that stuff much like yourself. Sure. And so, yeah, yeah. so we go to this restaurant and like, it's, uh, like just mind you, there's $40 vegetable plates at this place. So we finally, yeah. like, like the last course, they bring this fucking New York steak as we're eating it. He looks at me and he's like, I want to cry. This is so awful. He's like, is it the fact yeah. that we've effectively cooked so much amazing meat and we have such an amazing meat suppliers with like stay classy and like, you know, the butchers in here. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you, uh, you know, you hunt. So we, you know, have certain things. And uh, it was just funny. Like when you said it, you're like, I think we do better than just about any restaurant we've been to. And I wonder it's because you know, you've taken the time to learn to cook a steak, which I think actually might be on like the man list. Like it uh, has to be. Yeah, I agree. Like, <laughs> I like, like cook a steak. Well, like that might be if, uh, you know, you could say like, take care of your wife, take care of your kids. Don't lie. Don't steal and be able to cook a steak. That'd be probably a pretty yeah. good one. Huh? Yeah. Joking compliment. When, uh, I cook steak for my girlfriend, cat. well done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, Tex, we got to get you better on this. I'm good, but then there's great. So the, just the cast iron. Yeah. So I, I got text, uh, some nice, what are they? Butter pad. Yeah. Yeah. Butter pad, uh, cast iron pans. Cause he was literally yep. cooking on these like free, almost like, I don't know what the fuck they were. I went over there and I was like mortified that you were non sticks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's something where I'm going to get stomach cancer. Yeah. Some, yeah. Somewhere down the line. Like he's sure. like, yeah, yeah. I like went over <laughs> and looked at his pants and I was like, I know what you're getting for Christmas and your birthday. And that's what I got him. Yeah. So. Uh -huh. And so I just, I've got, uh, yeah. Charcoal. My only other I've, grill is a charcoal one. So, which, which is pretty good. Uh, you can do a lot, but you got to like be a little bit of a wizard because charcoal is so inconsistent. Yeah. I've mastered the turkey and going to take a shot uh, this Friendsgiving at both a Weber turkey and then my oven turkey, which I feel confident about. Nice. But sorry. So, uh, you know, I run I run three formats. Um, Traeger, it, it's almost like that's like conventional oven cooking with a grill. It's so great. It's so like that's awesome. If you want to entertain people, that's the way to go because you can throw that temperature gauge in there and you can scale your doneness. You know, if, if you got 10 people coming, you know, just keep work. You, you three want medium, you three want medium rare and you want maybe like a medium. Well, like, okay, we can make that happen. And it's awesome. Uh, I got one of the birch barrels, you know, Andy from the flip flop guy, he, he does the deer legs on that. Mm -hmm. That thing is phenomenal. Cause you can do wood chips, you can do charcoal, you can do cobblers down in the bottom. And you know, it's just, it's in a unique thing in and all of itself. And I, and I run cast iron. I've been doing a little bit of sous vide, but the thing that the sous vide does lack for me is that intense flavoring. Like, mm -hmm. dude, I'm a salt and pepper guy. And I'll, once the meat is sliced, I'll kind of hit it with an after seasoning. Uh, one of Casey's is the fire forge sea salt's really, mm -hmm. really good on that after it's already cut. <sighs> that fire so, salt is so good. Oh, it's my favorite. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I was putting it on prior to cooking and I would either lose some of it or it'd be too much, but just that dusting after it's all said and done, salt and pepper, little, little lard or butter, you know, in the, in the cast iron with that. And then, you know, those three are the kind of go-tos for me, but I, I really love cooking game for people. I love introducing it to people. One of my goals 
is to uh, to have a, a dinner called uh, well. I really want to get people around where I can do like a, a starter as several preparations of game, you know, just three or three or four, like one bite kind of deals and then segue into either like a chicken dish or a meat dish. But uh, I want to call it harvest and I want it to kind of be revolved around celebrating the animals that I harvest in a season and showcasing those. And then, okay, maybe this isn't, something that you would be willing to do it a full dish for. So that's why we'll have the New York strip or we'll have the, the chicken breast or whatever over here, which is still phenomenal, but something like that, where you've got some good red wine, uh, Lucere, this company right here is cool as shit. Um, Andy from uh, half face blades introduced me to me. Is it Lucere? Mm-hmm. They're helping him out with the, uh, the war wine that he's doing. So, you know, find somebody that's got a good wine company. That's, that's kind of from the heart find some some meat like that that you've either harvested for yourself for like Ted's classy or a local butcher that you love and care for so now it's not like hey look at me look at me this is my thing it's like look at my friends like look what my fucking friends are doing and like introduce that so that's kind of where my heart's at as far as passion projects it's really in the cooking space my brother's phenomenal I think I have a dream one day of doing maybe a food truck with him like just cruising the country with it for one summer and just putting out posts when we go somewhere and say, Hey, we're throwing down and this is what we're cooking. So um, I think he needs that. I think I would love to do that. And I, you know, that kind of stuff's what's firing me up anymore is just being around people that I love and sharing, sharing people that I love. Nice. No, I, I, um, my brothers are huge into Traegers. Um, I think they're, I, well, I bust their balls because <laughs> I think it's lazy. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's purely because my brother like throws it on there and he's on his app and I'm like, come on, man. He's like, fuck you and your big green egg and all your fucking fancy shit. So what I'll do, uh, if I sous vide, so I've, uh, I'm big on the reverse sear. So I'll either do like, yep. re, you know, reverse sear in the oven. I've done it on the big green egg and then we'll end up doing the sear. I've done it on the cowboy cauldron or like cast iron. I mean, we were, we were messing with uh, butter. I've been messing with, um, beef tallow and then also duck fat's been a new one we've been doing the sear in. But I think like, as long as you can almost, uh, like, you know, obviously get a, a good cut of meat. I've found that if I can salt it 24 hours ahead of time and then put it in the refrigerator with like a little piece of yeah. like, uh, paper towel on top and let it get a little hard, that works real well. Yep. But, um, and then, you know, and then making sure the meat's at room temperature before you start cooking it is another big one. Yeah. But, uh, I think there's cool creative stuff and like what's, what's so neat is, uh, you know, and I'm sure where you are, there's some really killer local butchers. I got to drive a little bit to go, uh, to go hit some good ones, but like downtown there's salt and time. And then I go out to uh, marble falls out to, uh, uh, Hudson's meets who, who do all the game prep stuff for us. And they usually have a pretty good deal. They actually, I, I was there the other day, they were selling ostrich eggs for 40 bucks a piece. You know, big an ostrich egg is. It's like this yeah, fucking big, as big as your face. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, um, I was tempted to buy it, and then I was like, you know what, forty bucks is a lot if it tastes like shit. You know, yeah. like isn't it like a, isn't it like the equivalent of like sixteen to twenty eggs? Yeah, it's uh, something insane like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's big, but I'd like, still rather just. I, I, I was thinking like, like I could make like a, eggs. I, I could make a bitchin omelet, but what if you go to cut in and you spend all this time and it's like, Ooh, that's really uh, rich or real gamey. And I'm like, fuck, I just burned $40 to make a crappy omelet. I'm not going to eat. So I bitched yeah. out. I might do it again though. So, <laughs> so what's uh like, what was the catalyst, man? Like, I, I mean, I know we saw this piece, but like, what was the catalyst that took you to the like day one? Like what was the, like the, the, the night before the momentum leading up to it? What was the challenge? What was, you know, what was the mission? I mean, I don't even know if you knew, but it was like, you know what, I got to put this out there to be accountable. Well, I think it, it really started with a conversation with my dad and, um, he, he really 
just straight out put it to me that men and our men in the Lily side of my family do not live to 75. We actually had uh, the two generations beyond him die the same day at 73. So it's like, there's, there's something there, you know, my dad's 61, um, 62 this year. So I'm looking at my dad and I'm like, fuck man, that's like 10 years, you know, more or less. Um, I can't believe that if you stick to the trajectory, you got 10 years left. Well, then that cycled right down to me where it's like, holy shit, I got 30 odd years left. Uh, doesn't seem like quite enough. So I set a goal for my 75th birthday. You know, that's kind of an age that I've looked at where I probably still have some cognitive ability and still be functional, still probably be fun to be, to wake up in the morning and be alive. Um, I didn't want to put something out there like 85 or 90. Cause I don't, I don't, I just personally don't want to live that long. I just don't see enough 85 and 90 year olds with the quality of life that I want to have. So 75 seemed like an attainable goal. Seemed like if I started doing my blood work, which I was already doing some, but I set out a plan with Dr. Foster at Foster Medical in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, really like beautiful education on hormones, hormone replacement. Um, a prime example of someone that I think is doing it right in a community that can often be labeled as something else. Uh, this guy really just like you go home with a dossier of, of information and studies and, and all this whatnot that he gives you before you even start testosterone. Like he wants you to fully have a spectrum of understanding for what you do. So hormone replacement therapy, getting myself straightened out after the absolute, I call it the uh, truck stop train wreck that my body was after the, uh, after the, the years and years of powerlifting, the anabolics, the androgenics, uh, luckily I never delved into any SARMs or any of that stuff. I don't know your guys feelings on that necessarily, but it seems to me that people that have issues, that seems to be one of the the commonalities that I found. Uh, um, but I, nevertheless, I don't know shit about SARMs. And the, uh, yeah. I mean, what's funny is I don't hear them really mentioned. Like I, I don't think I've ever, we've ever got a question about SARMs, but we were actually out at the Olympia this last weekend and ran into Chris Bell and, uh, his yeah. good buddy, Tony huge, who I didn't know there was a dude named Tony Huge, but that's what he is. He's is that like a, a clever name or is it his actual uh, name? Well, he's, he's like maybe 175, 180 pounds. So the dude's fucking Jack. So I, you know, like my perception, like, uh, like I'm sure like you, Brandon, like I see a dude who's 170 pounds jacked. I'm like, uh, you're 170 pounds. It's like a abs on a yeah, right. dude, right? <laughs> um, now, yeah. now when you go to the Olympia and you see like that Craig Goliath dude, who's like 360 oh my God. with like, he looks like Beetlejuice, a little itty bitty head. And then we saw that, uh, that Russian dude who's got like the five oh, percent yeah. um, fucking yeah. Uh, uh, he he reminds me the big of, Georgian. Yeah, he he big reminds George. me of the Russian from Street Fighter. Uh, yeah, yeah, Zangief. Yeah, Zangief. Uh, he yeah, yeah. like we were standing there and he threw a bicep pose with some chick and uh, like you could see like the synthol, like uh, oh. like you could almost see like the oh, ripple yeah. in in the bicep because it kind of just looked like um, almost like weird kind of floaty cellulite and i was like what the fuck yeah. is wrong with his bicep and the tony huge guy was like oh it's oil uh he's been injecting oil into the muscle bellies is how he's gotten so big and i'm like yeah why the fuck would anybody do that that guy's already looks like a fucking brick shit house like like how does that yeah. guy be bigger you know but uh it's just okay so uh but that guy was talking about sarms and i was like fuck man i don't know shit about that and uh to hear you say it i'm like maybe we need to investigate a little bit but so you think people that were doing the SARMs are having more issues, huh? Yeah, it seems like to me. So two things that I've noticed, and, and again, these are just anecdotal observation. Uh, I have no realm of study on them. 
talked to Dr. Foss about the peptide aspect. Uh, didn't really delve into the SARMs um, because I didn't want to put him in a compromising position as a physician. But the peptide thing, he said that there were some early, early, uh, I don't remember how he said it, but just they weren't as sound structurally as they are now. Mm. And internally, you got the benefit that you wanted, but the post-reaction had some detriment to the kidney or, or the liver or something like that. Um, we have mutual people in our circle that are suffering with long-term debilitating effects from what I would classify as early and high dosage peptide use. Hmm. I don't know. Again, that's not like I have fact of that, but th- just in conversations that they shared with me, they're having complications and they paralleled with the, with the dosage as being very high. Hmm. The SARMs far more than that. Uh, I was actually talking to someone, this is not a SARM, but I was actually talking to someone the other day about Adapex and something anecdotal that I found in those. What's, is it PCOS that women get? Um, uh, yeah, that's polycystic. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. So, so I knew, a, I knew a group of women that were training together. I was actually coaching two of them and ended up coaching five of them, all of them, different walks of life, all of them somewhat like pretty, but like the bigger girl, um, their whole lives, they had all gone through the Adapex. Every single one of them had PCOS. What's Adapex? Every single one of them. Uh, Adapex is kind of like a fin fin, kind of one oh. of that realm of, of fat burner. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal results, phenomenal results. But they never, ever lose fat the same way. Like their metabolic threshold just gets scrambled for some reason. It's kind of like um, like you you got one chance to get it right. And if you don't keep the fat off, it never comes off again. Kind of a deal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they also have those like little pocket bellies, like a little fupa. Mm-hmm. And like, these are, these are women that are like so calorically manipulated as far as we, we started them like what I thought would be moderate. We took them much lower. We gave them a little bit higher. We went strictly protein. We, we did all these variables and dude, I'm talking thrasher sessions, thrasher sessions, taking photographs of every meal and losing one pound like in two weeks, you know, it, it just did not make up, make sense. And I figured that probably some of them were eating extra, but of the five, I knew that one of them was going to hold the line and, and the results were the same. They all still struggle to this day. I've seen that with SARMs. Um, I don't want to, again, I just heard through the mill that some of the guys in the bodybuilding scene, uh, amateur and professional that have dropped have been big SARM users. So well, when we were out there, energy- uh, when we were out there, uh, the day before we got there, a guy who was getting ready to go, uh, in, uh, yeah, George, uh, a 37 year old guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he just died. So when we were there, I mean, was, went down to the prejudging for, I think he was a fig or, um, a classic, uh, bodybuilding classic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. went down to the prejudging, came back, everything was fine. And then they, you know, called, couldn't get a hold of him, went up there, opened the door and his fucking trainer, man, like wrote some like Instagram posts. It's like, yeah, we had total security went in there. He was cold. We started trying to resuscitate him. We had to clean his room and get everything out of there before we called the police. And like the dude put that in the post and I'm like, Oh fuck. Like why? Like, first of all, like that's how they, that's how they announced the death was that, his trainer put it on his social media and that's the shit he wrote. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm reading this and I'm like, am I fucking misreading this properly? Like, this is insane. Like, why, <laughs> first of all, why the fuck is this dude saying it? And that was, and like the yeah. Olympia people didn't put it out. I mean, like, and then it was weird when we were there, like nobody talked about it. And I'm like, so these guys just fucking fall over dead and nobody says anything. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I think it's a part of the, the culture, specifically the subculture, the extreme subculture of bodybuilding. I mean, 
I, I don't know if this is a, a common statement, but dude, I used to say all the time, if I lived to 50, I didn't try hard enough. You know, I used to think that way when I was at West side and that kind of shit, you know, like if there was a, if there was a drug out there that would make you stronger. I mean, you have stories of like, uh, periactin, it's a freaking antihistamine, puts you in the bed for 20 hours, but it will make you stronger than Dianabol. Louie will tell you that to this day. How the fuck do you know that? Because you took 30 other antihistamines trying to get stronger on them or something. But I don't know. But, you know, Louie's got the stories of snorting strychnine, uh, putting, and, and not him, but, you know, definitely people putting cocaine in the Afrin bottles before deadlifts and shit. I mean, it's like, we're talking about for, I mean, it's a, it's a Kiwanis club sport. You yeah. know, it's like <laughs> you're, you're the, you're the back of some like VFW for a $30 trophy. If uh, that. It's, so, yeah, but, I mean, but yeah, I used to think, yeah, I used to like think the dude, money I never equaled it, you know, like, like no. I could never figure it out. I'm like, so wait, you guys are lifting down at the local Y for like six yeah. other dudes. And like, these guys are, you know, like it's like, I'll tell you this. Um, we we were at the Olympia, so it was pretty interesting. We were walking in, and all the uh, the men's heavyweights were actually walking in with us. They were like coming in for their prejudging thing, and uh, I was standing next to God uh, Nick Walker. Uh, oh my who, god! Who I think played place fifth, uh, yeah. dude. He was probably like somewhere like around like you know like maybe five four five five, and the dude was like yeah. just you know super wide. But, uh, I mean, and then all of a sudden these dudes started walking past me. I mean, I didn't get oh, to see yeah. Big Ramey, but, I mean, these guys were just, like, I mean, for me it was kind of weird. Like, I mean, obviously there, but I just couldn't believe how tiny these dudes were. I mean, but, fuck, like, the level of dedication and, like, extreme nature to put your body into that close to death. I mean, those dudes got to be, I mean, like, people are like, how was it? I'm like, everybody looked really hungry. Like all these yeah. fucking people looked really hungry, but it's, it's, uh, it like, it's just, it's super interesting. Like it's such a fucking crazy subculture. Well, I think you got to look at probably, you know, aside from Arnold, you know, he's passed, um, he's passed that, that level. And I'm not even really talking about Arnold. You got to look at Dorian. You got to look at Ronnie. You got to look at flex Wheeler. Dorian was that last generation before Ronnie. He seems to be doing all right. He seems to be doing okay. Like, doing the yoga, doing the spirituality stuff and not saying that that makes him better or not, but like he just got away from the sport of bodybuilding. Yeah. And he, he went and did a bunch of psychedelics. Yeah. Like I, I follow him on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. He, he got big yep. into psychedelics and this. I mean, he, um, uh, I always, appre- well, I'll, I'll tell you, he's by far, uh, my favorite bodybuilder. Um, like Mine just, too. just for the fact that when we were growing up, I got to see that blood and guts, uh, D we, we had the VHS in college. <laughs> yeah. And like to this day, I don't think I've fucking ever seen, that level intensity anywhere. So like that was, and, and then he went out and fucking just shatter people. I mean, he would just like disappear and show up. That's why I call him the shadow. But, uh, I like, I always wonder, you know, like that big Ramey dude, fucking enormous, but like, yeah. I, I almost wish you could take like every dude, you could take the Ronnie, you could take the, uh, Jay Cutler, you could take the Dorian Yates, you could take all those dudes and like somehow like get them all in stage at their prime and really see like how far it's come, you know? Oh yeah. Well, the guys that I always liked, and this might tell you a little bit about my psychology. I've always been a little bit of a a counter, you know, kind of like not the bad guy necessarily, but just somewhat of an underdog situation. But the Mincer brothers were my first Mm -hmm. introduction to to bodybuilding. Um, The HIT book from Mike Mincer. And I loved it because 
you know, I remember the book talking like him about, about him taking speed so he could write more articles and read more articles. And, and like, I admired that in the sense that like this guy really wants to just fucking understand and dominate this thing. Whereas Arnold was always kind of like, I guess I just had the perception that it came easy to him, like the California, easy breezy kind of thing. And the Mincers were much more that just hardcore blood and guts. I mean, they were the foundation that yeah. led to Dorian training that way. Um, so they were always like Mike Mincer to this day. If there's one guy that I could just swap bodies with for just to, you know, like his body was phenomenal. I thought he kept, he, he captivated in my mind and not to steal your else's line, but the power athlete, like he looked athletic, he looked strong, he looked capable. Um, you know, Schwarzenegger always looked a little peaked to me. Like he looked a little deflated or depleted, which is fine, but I just like the Minster guys, but you know, we ought to start looking at, so many examples and, and Kai Green did a video that I absolutely loved. Um, but I'll get to that point in a second. But He's a strange cat, we man. Did. We we were oh. standing next to him. Uh he was in a booth and Dan Lynn Bailey and Rob Bailey came over. Yeah. And they they had some assault bikes in their booth. And so of course we jump over the salt bikes to fucking try to go first text and uh Josh from Train Heroic jumped on there to do sixty seconds. But Kai Green was there. And like he's such an interesting, weird, like super strange cat. Like he was wearing like this full red bodysuit of like red spandex. He had some like mask on his head and his fucking long hair and like such a cool like it, like just interesting, weird, strange, odd character. Nobody like him, man. Um, but I think I think we need to to have people looking at the Ronnie Coleman, the Flex Wheelers, like. These are these are maybe victorious stories in some way, but they're also like we need to look at the reality of their stories. Not everybody did it like Dorian. Not everybody did it like Jay Cutler. Those guys kind of got out, but when they were still somewhat arguably in their prime, like Jay Cutler could have probably got another five or six years. Yates was starting to show some signs of the wear and tear, but at least another Olympia or two. Yeah. But nevertheless, I, I think we need to shy away from just only looking at the the positive stories, but to Kai green, the thing, the, the time that I, it was the Arnold after my first injury, he saw me coming in on the crutches. He was like, man, you came up here to the Arnold on crutches. And I was like, yeah. And I told him my story. He was like, I don't want to pray and get weird with you, but he's like, can I just like sit here in silence with you for a minute? He's like, I just want to just want to feel your energy, you know? So he does this thing and he's like, brother, you're going to be all right. Like this whole thing is going to be all right. Bigger than you bigger than you kept saying that to me. And, uh, I gave him a cube shirt and he sent me the worst picture ever of it. It was like, it, he put it on, but it was like, he really didn't want me to post it. Cause he didn't know what the fuck he was sharing, but it was just like this really dark picture of him taking a. So anyway, he was a super nice guy, but the video that I loved about him and the reason I really fell in love with this guy is some company had, had tried to pay him to show a, a day in the life. Right. And he still owned his own apartment in New York city. He was like, I'm going to show you guys what a day in the life of Kai Green was before I want to show, before I was Mr. You know, Arnold Champion and all this kind of stuff. This shitty, flat apartment right upstairs from this you know, New York City convenience store where he would buy day-old chicken thighs for 79 cents a pound, go up there, cook, scramble eggs, and paint in the corner, and then go back and fix his next meals. He was like, this is my life every day. This is what it looks like when you're on the way up to the top with no guarantee that you're ever going to be on top. He was like, I would never recommend anybody do this. He was like, but if you're doing this, realize it doesn't get better guaranteed. And I just like, 
who else is saying that message? You know what I mean? Everybody else is like showing their cars, showing their new houses, showing their money. And here's a guy that's just like, this is what it's going to be for 99.999% of y'all. This. You're not going to have a family. You're not going to have friends. You're going to be stuck to this diet. You're going to be stuck to this schedule. You're going to be broke. You know, and I was like, man, that is exactly like, if there's a version of that for me, not to degrade powerlifting or tell people not to do it, but like, if there's a way I can say, Hey, through injury, through all of it, I am better because of it. And like the things that made me a champion in that can help me figure out life as well, but don't just expect life to be easy because I was good at this one thing. You know what I mean? Or don't expect to get the same breaks unless you're, unless you're committed to the grind of it. And I hate that word, but like the process over result, you're never going to get what you want to go to because everything well, what's on the other side of that? is process. I'm, I mean, the, the other side of that was like, we were, when we were at the Olympia, we were at dinner uh, with some people and uh, we were talking about, uh, we saw some five percenter stuff and the guy we were yeah. with was like, you know what? Like that five percenter rich Piana fucking vibe was like a fucking dark cloud over all of this stuff. And like, you know, him, like, mm-hmm. you know, posting all this cars and this houses and this, and you know, whether or not he was, you know, they made it sound real nefarious. Like he was dealing drugs in here, but he was, you know, selling water jugs at 5% written on the side. And he's like, the guy was an incredible <laughs> marketer, but he's like the people that yeah. he was bringing in uh, and the lifestyle he was showing was fucking insane in, in comparison. Yeah. Well, I think it's like if you went to an ICP concert and just got a bunch of people that were like, juggalos you know like that that's i mean essentially that's kind of what the five percent crowd was like it was these people who were like they were extreme individuals without bodybuilding and then you add this bodybuilding aspect to the extreme like the synthol and like the i mean every person on that roster was not nobody on there was winning bodybuilding shows they were all kind of like i think there was one guy that did um i think he's a canadian bodybuilder kind of always he was he looked maybe like cuban or something but he always had blonde blonde hair spiked up uh tips so I, I just remember that guy but again he was more of that marcus rulish freakish you know never going to be an aesthetic physique it was more of that freakish physique and you know what people love the freaks and i think that's why they love piano was there was a, a bad boy sense about him but there was also there was i don't want to say like a breath of fresh air but you know he spoke on things that a lot of people wouldn't even address sure and i think I think that gave him buy-in from a lot of, especially that younger crowd um, because they, they were looking for that information because in that, in that circle too. And I think that's, that brings us back to the SARMs and the peptides and that kind of stuff. I use peptides right now for healing and I think they're fantastic, but I think the willingness to use ever somebody down the street at the local gym says, Hey man, this is good for you. Like this will make you stronger. This will make you bigger. We don't even like hesitate to do that. You know, like in the, in the, bodybuilding powerlifting world um the dosages that that i used which i thought were you know moderate to to high end are like base blocks of things that you see now and i don't i love when i get questions now of like hey man did you ever take this or did you ever try this and it's like dude i was as straight laced as it got i mean i never varied very far from the testosterone the equipoise uh the anadrol the dianabol uh trend here and there a time or two, you know, it was, it was still very much. Is like there a lot of, school. is there anything else other than that? <laughs> like, well, I, I mean, 
you know, it worked. It seemed to work for the guys in the seventies and eighties. Well, know? I mean, and that's uh, kind of the the uh, so old man Zangus uh, was real forthright with a lot of that shit with us when you know because we'd always ask him because he always uh, had all these magazines. These old powerlifters would show up, and uh, he was pretty funny in that um, when he was the Thompson powerlifting coach, those guys got in with uh, Frank Zane would come train with them, but he had to kick Zane out yeah. of the gym because Zane would use a lot of coke during his cardio, and that was how he got so shredded. <laughs> and so he was like, oh, he's like Zane was a bad influence. But he made a comment one time um, that uh, back when Arnold was there, like basically it was like Diana Ball, I think was what everybody took. And he's like, mm-hmm. Arnold just looked better than everybody else on the same amounts. So he's like, there's yeah. certain people that genetically have better receptors. And um, he made a funny point. He goes, you know, the guy that wins the Olympia isn't the dude that takes the, the most or the guy that wins the bodybuilding show. It's the guy that responds the best to the least. Because the problem yeah. is, is that the guys that have to take so much to overcome always end up looking like dog shit. And that was just oh, kind yeah. of a, a, like, like an interesting kind of point of view where he's like the guy that wins. is, And, and he's even said in powerlifting, like uh, he was saying, like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Kaz was another guy that just, you know, responded superhuman to what everybody else like, you know, if everybody was on a, um, mm-hmm. you know, everybody was handed the, you know, same cup of soda, whatever it is, Kaz just reacted different, like grew like mountainous more than other people. So, yeah, I think I saw that too. There was a kid named uh, Cody and he came and he was a poly kid like uh, from, from, uh, I don't think he was from Hawaii, but he was Polynesian, uh, definitely Islander. And he came to the Eastern Kentucky University, okay? 210-pound linebacker in high school. Uh, they wanted to kind of beef him up a little bit. Dude, kid trained for 14 weeks and put on 20 pounds. Like, it was just one of those kind of deals where it was a dry sponge and the weights were water. I mean, he just soaked it up. I think he grew an inch or two at the same time. So it wasn't just like this – perfect met you know metabolic deal but his body was changing and the weights were introduced right at the perfect time this kid went from looking like oh he's a good looking football player to like is this kid going to do some bodybuilding is he going to do like you know it was just amazing to see how much weight this kid put on and he ended up uh he ended up finishing out his career at like 245 255 but just hard as nails at that weight and looked you know looked the part zero zero intelligence about even whey protein like he just ate the meals that they were prescribing him and and trained i mean i saw a guy named Tuli. i went to uh hawaii this summer and i got a really nice access to your hunting there and uh you know when you get into maui there's always those guys that have like the wood carvings Mm -hmm. this guy's name was Tuli. 19 inch forearms 23 inch calves and just like he just looked like his arms hung down forever, like he he just looked massive. And so he if he sumo, he wanted to rugby. pull it like one inch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's what yeah. it's what he looked like. And his hands, they looked like um, that Dennis Chaplinkov, the big Russian arm wrestler. That yeah. his hands looked like they were just swollen. But I asked him about his ring, and he wore an eighteen and a half ring on one hand and a twenty Jesus. on the other, um, and, and just like a truly, truly gigantic human. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm the small one." You know, like he was just talking about how his brothers used to dwarf him when he was a kid and whatnot. I mean, I don't even know if the guy could fit a football helmet, but he was a rugby player. He's there in Maui outside the airport. His name's Tuli. Uh, I know a couple guys have seen him. They didn't know his name or anything like that. But when I mentioned it to some friends, they're like, I've seen that dude. He's just massive, like for the sake of being massive. And he doesn't he doesn't have a belly. 
he has these like power abs, but he's like 52 years old, 53 years old. And he has like this outward extended belly, you know, just, I don't know if it's because of the years of training that he did and his body just held on to it. Or like he said, his brothers were just monsters, you know, like they're just a genetic anomaly, dude, it's crazy. And the one thing I will say to anybody about genetics, they're an interesting topic for me because at 17, 18, I was very much an endurance athlete and, you know, nobody would have looked at me and said, man, you've got the genetics to be a great power lifter. And at 32, prior to my injury, nobody, and certainly when you saw me at Sornex when I'm 345, nobody would have looked at me and said, man, you've got the genetics to do a hundred thousand meter row. You've got the genetics to do four marathons or, or whatever the, like the, the task at hand is, but that's the cool thing about genetics. You don't really know what they do or how they're going to express themselves until you give them a stimulus. So somebody that's at the starting line of a, of, of a bodybuilding show or bodybuilding journey. And they're like, man, I just don't have the genetics for it. You don't know yet. Like don't give up on what you see because somewhere in there, there's like a, a hot button switch that's waiting to get tagged and show you what your genetic potential can be. You know, it, it's just wherever your stimulus goes. I mean, I think we're multifaceted, you know, like I think I'm probably a pretty good athlete all around, but I've been super strong. I've been super explosive. And I've also been the guy that could slow burn. So I was stoking each end of that spectrum at different times in my life. So, you know, I'm, I'm very big on, yes, genet- I mean, you've been in the NFL, you know, genetics are, well, are I mean, deciding. Uh, yeah. You're not getting to play offensive line unless you're six, four, six, five or six, six. So, I mean, there's kind of a genetic cutoff. You got to be tall enough to be able to do it just because for some reason they have some like, you know, fucking feeling against short guys on offensive line. But I mean, there's, <laughs> there, there's a real like kind of genetic kind of piece for it. But the other thing too, yep. is um, it's not that, I mean, I always love when people are like, Oh, if only, but I mean, it's as you know, man, it's not easy to walk around at 300 plus pounds and actually be able to move and be able to do some stuff. Like I've seen people that are like, Oh man, I fought to get to 210. And I was like, dude, I mean like to be able to comfortably walk around at 300 pounds uh, for years is not, no, it is not really an easy task. I don't recommend it for people, but for the most part, you got to be a little bit genetically predisposed to be that big. Because if not, oh, I mean, yeah. you know, it just, it's miserable. I mean, it's funny. We, we had Nick Hardaway on the podcast and he's probably naturally about a, you know, 210, 220 guy who fucking ate himself into a kind of an ugly 300, but still an incredible athlete and a wrestler. And, um, all of a sudden three months later yeah. he retires and he's down to like 208 and, uh, dude, I love his stuff. But I mean, there's a guy who genetically, uh, you know, wasn't really designed to carry that much weight and uh you know now he just looks a hell of a lot better and it was funny he started lifting weights again i guess he saw a picture of the rock and his kids were like dad could you be big like that so he started like lifting weights started actually looking pretty good and then he's like (laughs) fuck my joints started hurting so i had to lose all that weight but you talk about genetics i mean you take a guy like the rock who's black and samoan you pretty much have like the perfect genetic pool for those because dude the samoans have always been so thick and so strong yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, that that's one of the upsides to the black, black side of, of bodybuilding is their muscle bellies. The insertion points are so spot on. And like you said, you take a guy that's, that's, that's mixed between those two ends and, uh, or even a guy like Tyson Beckford, you know, the Chinese in black, um, it just well, Filipino, if you can put Filipino and black together, now you have the two, you know, now you're looking at the master race. Just after yeah. Louise. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rafael. But, uh, but I mean, uh, what's crazy is um, when we were at that uh, at the Olympia. I think it's Chris Bum's 
uh, Bumsfeld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bum, Bumsfeld, who won the uh, um, won the the classic bodybuilding. I mean, that dude's like two sixty, and I think he cuts down to like two fifteen, two twenty, and uh, he, he's yeah. way taller than me. He's like six feet tall, but that dude is absolutely shredded. Yeah, he, I've seen a little bit of the buzz around. I mean, you got guys like Nick Walker, again, five five, just mutants of mass. Um, and then you got a guy like Bumstead, and I think, you know, again, it's I hate going this direction because money isn't everything, but from a business standpoint, you do have to look at where the money goes. And I think, you know, Chris Bumstead could start a movie tomorrow. He's a beautiful yeah. guy. Like his physique is amazing. Um, you know, if he has any acting ability at all, he could go out and make ten million dollars in a movie. Yeah. He has a phenomenal following, and so do a lot of these other physique guys or the classic stuff. Um, you know, I just think that the, the, you know, like female bodybuilding at, at its worst is also a very niche market, just like this, you know, the extreme bodybuilding at the open level we're seeing now, I bet with one or two more deaths, they're going to have to really start asking themselves, what are we asking of our athletes? And are we causing some of these deaths by our demand, you know, by our judging standard? And I, I think you'll see a redraft of it. I just don't see any downside I love the freaks too, but I don't see any downside as a business model for them retracting the men's bodybuilding as it has been. Well, I, mean, I think uh, the the classic people, physique and the people the have been other, dying for uh, years. Uh, I mean, but I'll, I'll I'll tell you this: you're not uh, wrong. Uh, the classic physique, and what's crazy is the dude that died. I think was classic physique. Um, yeah, uh, but I'll tell you this: just from like an aesthetic st- standpoint, like I saw them take a picture of like Arnold when he won. I think uh, you know whatever the Olympian seventy five. I'm be fucking wrong on these years, but it was like seventy five, and then he I think he left in seventy six and came back in seventy seven. But they put him side by side, and I'm telling you, Bumsfeld or uh, yeah, Bumsfeld would have fucking won. He was hands down. I mean, the oh, legs yeah. were more impressive. I mean. Dude's just fucking diced. But then you're like, well, you know, is it, do, do we know more about nutrition? Is there a lot more advanced drug use? Like, do these guys know? I mean, I don't know, dude. It's, uh, it's just a really interesting thing to see people put that much time and work into their physique and then not use it in a meaningful way, like uh, not for sport or whatever, just to get up there and like who can, you know, put the prettiest package together. It's, it's, uh, it's weird, you know, well, as and, a, and who can yeah. put together the best subjective package. Yeah. You know, it's not even With, like, it's, yeah, like people judging it. it it's kind of like we were yeah. watching the, um, the female, like it, it was weird. They had like a wellness division, which was like yeah. a lower body of the figure girls and upper body of the bikini girls. And then they had the bikini and then they had physique and then they had fitness. figure and fitness and all this. I couldn't have fucking told you. The only way I could tell the difference is one was wearing high heels, one wasn't. Well, fitness, yeah. they did some awesome yeah. gymnastics. Well, yeah, it, it, it looked like a lot of ripped uh, young gymnasts that grew to be 30 and then decided they still wanted to do a fucking gymnastics routine. <laughs> like, these girls were tearing yeah. it up. It was cool. But, yeah, no, it was badass. Like, the athleticism was great. But the other girls, like, high heels and they were kind of, like, posing. And then the other girls came out with no shoes on. And then they started hitting, like, bicep poses and back. And it was more, like, bodybuilding-esque. And then I don't think we yeah. saw. Did did they have women's bodybuilding there, or did they get rid of that? I we, we didn't see that. We, at least in the I know finals. that it was retracted a couple. There was retracted a yeah. few years ago. Yeah, and so yeah, so. but but it was wild. Like the the most impressive. Like I just couldn't wrap my head around. Like when we saw the wellness girls, like their fucking legs and and 
backs and butts and like their waists were t- I was like fuck these girls look like uh, almost like something out of anime or something like people drew these girls yeah. in cartoons it's fucking impressive man to see the, the work that these girls put in just cause well I, I mean well and it's to say it's like you know I don't care how Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs he hit them you know it, it's impressive um, but at some level you know, when you're talking to these people that are getting to, and it's not the mass, it's the mass plus the extreme conditioning that becomes problematic. And the links that people will go to make themselves lean without the discipline to keep themselves lean prior to the cut. You know what I mean? Like you see, you don't see it like you used to, but you used to see Lee Priest of the world advertising a KFC thing mm-hmm. and then coming into the show, you know, from 300 to 220. Like yeah. if he had walked around in his career, again, at probably 235 and competed somewhere around 215, 220. Um, I can't imagine that the 300 version was a, was producing a better bodybuilder than the 235 or 240 guy cutting down to 215. Um, and I think we saw that a lot with guys like Sean Ray. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't make the, the year-to-year dramatic sweeping changes, but over the course of his career, always in shape, showed up really, really well, built a legacy. Um, you know, I think when guys well, it was play like, that mask uh, game. Jay Cutler. I mean, dude, seeing those pictures of Jay yeah. Cutler in the offseason was fucking enormous. But uh, I remember something well, Louis yeah. said to me years ago where Louis said, it's not the drugs that kill these dudes because if it was, powerlifters take more drugs than the bodybuilders. And he goes, it's sure. actually, it's the weight fluctuation and it's the dieting and it's the low body fat and it's the fluctuation uh, of getting so close to death. Because he, 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 yeah. he, you know, that's really the day you look your best is the closest you are to death that you'll ever be. I mean, and, you know, they're water depleted. They feel like shit. And like you could see the look on their eyes. They all have this kind of glazed over look in their eye. Uh, you know, I haven't eaten in fucking weeks. I'm fucking miserable. And uh, that's the day you look your best. I mean, I remember John Meadows, yeah. you know, God rest his soul, said he's like, hey, the closest you are to death, that's the time you got to step on stage. And like that's the mentality that those guys have been willing to push. And Louis always said it's not the drugs, it's the dieting that kills these guys. I think John is is actually gonna be I think he's gonna be the stake in the ground um for a lot of guys because John, in my perception, I mean, push the envelope, but outside it's it's kind of like getting in a car without a, a roll cage and going really fast or getting in a drag car and going really fast. Like John was as careful and calculated as you could be in regards to his life and his health at that level. I don't think there was anybody that was taking as much attention to, d- to detail and care for themselves still gone. Like we're, we're all going to the same place. Um, but you know, I, I want to push the envelope as much as I can, but I also, I knew when I was, when I was killing myself as a power lifter, like you don't want to admit that in the moment, you don't want to say that this is crazy. Like, I remember, you know, looking one time at an insulin syringe thinking like, is this the next step? And like, it's in my hand. Am am, am I going to this level? Because this is the next thing. And just deciding, you know, I know people that are diabetic that would, that would hate me for even talking like that. I know people that have had like, you know, Dallas McCarver apparently took an injection and, and passed and, you know, went hypoglycemic and died, or there was some causation or correlation to that anyway. Um, I don't know, man. It, it just, I got very close to start grabbing at straws of like, will this get me back? Will this get me stronger? Will this do this for me? Will this, and I think that speaks to what you were talking about too. I was really, really good with the things that were very, very basic until I got hurt. And then my body was like, 
okay, we can't do this anymore. So that's when I started going to those other things, looking for solutions, looking to get me over these hurdles, looking to fill these gaps in. And that's when, obviously, when I was my most unhealthy um, for, for whatever reason, whether it was just the the lack of care or attention to my health, or it was, I was just putting whatever I could in there to make me stronger again, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, uh... It's an interesting thing. Like, um, I think when you're young, you, you have this idea of, ins, uh, ins, or you're invincible. So incivil, what is it? Um, ins, fucking invincibility. Yeah. Invincibility. And, uh, you know, this happens to NFL players all the time. I mean, it happened to me at, at you know, during my career where you get hurt and you're like, you know, fuck, I played in a, in a, in a, uh, a game on a Sunday, got scoped on a Monday and then played the following Sunday, you know, scope holes bleeding yeah. through my knee just because you know what, like it wasn't necessarily that, uh, uh, it was the smartest thing to do, but like I physically could do it. And I figured if I could do it, I should do it. And if I, my body wouldn't let me, then I would take a break. And, but you're in yeah. this point where your body will fucking do whatever you want. It's like a reactive sports car. Like you turn the wheel, it fucking goes fast. And, uh, yep. you know, ended up playing really well. And, um, I think you get to a point where you just realize like, fuck, I can do whatever I want. I can physically perform how I want on the highest level on the biggest stage. And then all of a sudden something happens and you can't. And uh, that's what happened to me. Yeah. Um, I got hurt that last year in New England. And like, it was like as if I found the straw that broke the camel's back. And it was, um, you know, the talk Dr. Bueller did at the uh, uh, Power at the Symposium, which we can post a link for, outlined exactly what happened. Effectively, my body, uh, enough muscles shut down where I couldn't compensate around it anymore. And it really mm-hmm. took this like almost fact-finding journey of figuring out why I was broken and going to Dr. Bueller and kind of going through this. But I think... Uh, a lot of times you have this, you know, I mean, think, think about like a guy like Dan Green, for example. Um, I mean, uh, like probably the single most impressive fucking lifts I've ever seen. And pretty much that dude single-handedly resurgence in uh, raw power lifting when everybody was geared. I mean, that dude comes out and like fucking was an absolute man, Ben, and then hurts himself and has had to kind of rebuild and fight. And now he's trying to be smarter and all that. But fuck man, there was a couple of years there where that dude was absolutely untouchable. If he was going into a meet, it didn't matter if he was 220 or whatever, he was going to fucking smash it. And then, you know what? He hurts yeah. his back and he's been kind of coming back and, you know, this and kind of fighting it. But I mean, he was fucking invincible there for a few years. Same kind of deal. Yeah. I, Dan and I, we had a weird relationship. We had a, we had a fallen out um, just over uh, after my injury. I think there was a lot of, he said, she said stuff, not necessarily with him, but just, I think some things about me came to light and, you know, Dan commented on them and we kind of had some rough patches there, but ultimately Dan was one of the catalysts and sparkle too. Um, Dan was always on me, man. He was like, you're dude, man, you figure it out. You got to figure it out. So Dan uh, is someone that I respect tremendously, not only as a, as a lifter and a little bit of a trivia on him too. He never took his wraps off when I was on the ground at the competition. He lifted after me. Um, and I think he kept his wraps on the whole time I was down and still lifted the lift, um, which is insane. Uh, that could be wrong, but I do know he lifted after me and I do know that he kind of struggled because he said he couldn't feel his feet. So <laughs> it was like, but that's just the kind of lifter he is. And I mean, if you look back at any of the lifts that he did, the guy has a grind zone. Like he just, once he got a, a deadlift to his knees, he wasn't going to miss it. Like that guy was just a finisher and 
Chuck Vogelpohl said something to me in powerlifting about powerlifting one time that I thought was true. He said the great powerlifter is under three inches, the last inch in a squat towards the hole, the last inch of a lockout in a bench press, and standing up the last inch through the knees in the deadlift. He's like, you do those three things as a powerlifter and do them well, you're going to be a great powerlifter because those three inches are what bomb people out. So, you know, that was something that I just started looking at all the nuance and stuff. And, and Chuck and Dan were total opposite personalities, but their tenacity was the same because Dan had little sayings like that kind of stuff too. And um, just the care that he took to his nutrition, the way that he built his body, like the guy always maintained his flexibility. Of course, he was a gymnast prior to powerlifting. So I think that does something too. Laura Phelps is one that I always kind of model after is her muscle bellies were still like a gymnast, you know, her, her body moved like a gymnast, even though she was a powerlifter. And I think for most big powerlifters, what they're struggling against is their, their own body movement. You know, it's trying to find the right positions, thing, squat a million pounds down there. Um, she was fortunate enough to be hyper flexible and just build the muscle to fill in the gaps of movement, you know, like get as strong as you can to move as much as you can. So, you know, and, I don't know why that made me think of this, but I do think there's value in, in saying this anywhere that I can. And I think your podcast is perfect for it. But if I were to, to design a perfect athlete timeline, it would be something like this, getting your kid into the swimming at like six months to one year old, you know, like getting that body awareness, some of the, the survival swimming stuff for the kids, three to four years old, get them in gymnastics, four to five years old or six years old, get them into martial arts, the five, six, seven-year-olds introduce them to one or two sports. And then really around 13 or 14, starting narrowing that down back to one sport or two sports for their high school career. But um, the reason I say the swimming one, you just learn body awareness early. And then you follow that up with uh, gymnastics, which is ultimate body awareness, ultimate control of the body movement. And then you go into something like martial arts and that's like the mental capacity to supplement the movement capacity. So I don't know, man. I, I just think that there's so many amazing people. And when you look at people like Dan or people like Laura and even Chuck, like the, the willingness to go through these massive injuries and, and struggles to really be the best. That's what I always admired. I don't care what somebody's doing. If they're doing things at the highest level um, and really doing it at a higher level than their peers, you know, I think all three of those people that I just named Dan, Laura and Chuck, they're fine examples of that. Like there were good other lifters around them. There were people doing amazing things around their timeline, but those three really elevated the bar of the sport because of their personality and both and all three of them really lack that exuberant bubbly social media personality. They just got it done on the platform, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, that's a good point. Well, dude, fuck man, we'll end it there, dude. That, uh, that was epic, dude. I'm so glad that we were able to get you on and, uh, hear the story and fucking put a stamp on it. And, uh, we're stoked to see what, yeah. uh, what the future holds, man. And, um, dude, glad to be your fan. Uh, and same to you, man. Thank you so much, Tex. I'm a big fan of you. Um, just to say what you guys do and the way that you carry yourselves, I would put you in the same category of doing that. You know, you, you're, you're around a lot of people that are doing a lot of great things, but the way you guys do it sets you apart. So it, it's been a real privilege to be here. Thank you for considering me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Brandon, where where should people head if they want to give you a follow and and see some artistic meets prepared? <laughs> so basically, every everything around me is uh, is some variant of Brandon Lily three, uh, Brandon Lily three on Instagram, Brandon Lily three at Yahoo. Uh, if you want to send me an email, uh, Peace Love and Meat is also the the secondary Instagram page. That's more cooking, art, music kind of thing. Uh, my, just my trajectory as a man, as a 
athlete as terrible jujitsu practitioner is more on the Brandon Lilly three side of things. So those are pretty easy. I'm very active in there in the the DMS. I try to communicate with people. And if if you're out there and you think questioning me or sending something over is kind of burdensome, that's what I enjoy is something that really makes me think. I don't like just small talk. I don't like chit chat. I like stuff that, that challenges me and makes me grow and hopefully we can grow together. Awesome dude. Sweet. Well, you guys heard it here first. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for I tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Brandon Lilly on Instagram at Brandon Lilly 3 Until next time, bye!